0: All right, if you would please open up to Acts chapter 9, that's where we're going to be in the Word today. Well, good morning, everybody. It is, uh, it's wonderful to, to, you know, now old songs that my kids say are old songs, like, that's not old. It's like a few years ago, but maybe it was before they were born. It's like, well, that's an old song. That just qualifies, but it's awesome. Awesome to be reminded of God's grace. All right, we are continuing in our series in Acts, and as we're looking through, um, the title of this series is Witness. What, looking at the Holy Spirit's work in, in the lives of the disciples to bring Jesus' message through their lives by their words and by their deeds, and that's what witnessing is. We want to live in ways that draw attention to Jesus and give him glory in all things. Uh, Kerr did a great job last week drawing out the beginning of this chapter with Saul's conversion and that experience. Uh, And this continues on. The the chapter continues telling of Paul's continued experience as he is uh, hesitantly connected to the body of Christ. If you look at uh, the second half of verse 19, that starts for some days. We'll go to verse 31. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and he immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him up to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were still, they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Lord, I pray that is true of us as Christ Community Church, that we would walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit and you would add to us those who are being saved, and those who have a relationship with you. Lord, bring it. We love you. Multiply us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see in the conversion of Saul, in this passage, in this group of verses, uh, how the gospel takes root in his life. And there are helpful correlations we can make in our own experiences to ensure that the gospel takes root in us, in others, and in others around us. I don't know if you have ever uh, seen those in person or pictures of the sequoia trees in California in the Northwest. They are enormous. They grow to about 250 to 300 feet high. Their diameter is around 30 feet. I've seen pictures where they can they board out the middle and cars can drive through and stuff. Do you know their root system only goes down at most about 20 feet? how in the world are those things held up? It's actually because they grow close to one another and their roots grab on to the roots that are next to them. And they intertwine their roots. So the secret of their strength and their height is not their depth, it's their connection to the other sequoia trees around them. I think this is a good example for us and we see... In the, the, the believer's hesitancy to understand if Saul really was a believer or not, I think it brings us to a question of how do we respond when someone is new to the faith? We can, if we are not careful, and I think most of the time, uh, we can be standoffish, waiting to see fruit. Let's see if it really takes. Remember a few years ago, when Kanye uh, had a profession of faith and looked like, and you had uh, people just, oh, he's going to be God's spokesmen. It's awesome. We needed somebody like that for the gospel to go forward. And he had others, I think mostly those in, in the church were kind of head tilted. Let's see how long this is going to take. Why do we do that? Now, there... New faith does bring fruitfulness that is by the Spirit. But why are we more suspicious and hesitant with new believers than we are embracing of them? To say, come on, come alongside me. Let's root together. This is a good question for us to invest. Are we investing in the faith of those around us that will lead toward fruitfulness. See, the moment of our salvation is the starting line for our witness. And there are components in Saul's experience that I think happen in a lot of believers that we can understand God uses these components, uh, transformation, these are the components, transformation, opposition, and assimilation. God uses these to establish our witness in Christ. The first thing we see is transformation. People were amazed at Saul. Now, not everyone has a dramatic conversion moment like Saul did. Not everybody gets knocked to the ground and meets Jesus personally like that. Why are you persecuting me? But there are some that have dramatic light, uh, dark to light experiences where they know God just met me, he saved me. There are some that share that powerful moment like like a Saul. But for most of us, I think our moment of conversion was more in line with a quiet peace that invaded our souls, that just never left and we knew something was different. And for those who've grown up in the church, maybe you, you grew up going to children's church and VBSs and you don't know which time salvation took. Because you made a lot of professions. You responded a lot. And I don't I don't know if it was that VBS or this VBS that I got saved. I'm not sure. Because I prayed at all of them. Dear man of the faith who's now with Jesus, I remember years ago he said this. I I I never remember not believing. Isn't that sweet? That wonderful. We don't have to have these dramatic, I was in the gutter. Yes, God saves those who are in the gutter. But you know what? For the kids who've prayed young, he just saved you before you got to the gutter. So he still saved you from the gutter. I remember I was a youth pastor across the lake for 15 years. And I, had, I actually had I was working with the teenagers to help them uh, just develop their own testimony story? How would you share the gospel and how it's affected your own life? And I had one of the young guys just said, can I use my mom's story? Can I say what happened to my mom? Because hers was that really dramatic, God just rescued her. Can I borrow hers? <laughs> we all have a conversion story. And thankfully, Our conversion experience, that moment, is not the mark of our witness, it's the beginning of our witness. See, the mark of our witness is our transformation into the glory of Jesus from one degree of glory to another, as we look at him and transformed into his image. That's the most powerful evidence to ourselves that we are in the faith, and it's the most powerful evidence to others of faith in Christ. Some people indeed were rascals before Jesus met them. And their sudden turnaround in their conversion, it's startling to others. See, the amazing thing for us is that any of us are rescued by Jesus. That's the amazing part. But our transformed lives should continue to be to the amazement of everybody that looks on our lives. Saul had that dramatic thing. They're amazed. Didn't you just come here to bring people to prison to kill them? Is that what you're about? Dramatic change. But for those for people who know us, there there should be an element of amazement as people look at our lives and say, Wow. Wow. Look at our marriages. Look at our parenting. Wow. That should continue. So within our transformation, there's an amazement, but there's also a proclamation that we express in our transformation. See, new life leads to steps. It leads to big steps. And I was reminded of of the parable that Jesus said he gave about the pearl of great price in Matthew 13. He said this again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had. And bought it. See when we see Jesus as that pearl of great price. Everything else doesn't matter. We can trade it all in. To make sure that we have it. See seeing. uh, Selling rather. Selling all that you all that will lead, selling all that you have, in maybe maybe a physical sense where you really do liquidate everything, but other times it's just I don't have the attachments like I used to have. The things of this earth don't have the same hold on me because Jesus in the heavenlies has a different type of hold on me. That makes people suspicious in your life, particularly family members who are not believers. You know what I'm talking about? They look at you really weird. What happened to you? Probably comes with, did you join a cult? Because something's not right. You're at church too much. It's weird. It's different, but there's something being proclaimed when we have the life, the pearl of great price that Jesus is, and we say to the world, You don't have me anymore. When we say to our cravings, You don't have me anymore. And that's when transformation is a proclamation. And maybe. Our conversion experiences might not lead to preaching moments, but hopefully they'll lead to conversations that talk about Jesus. That people will ask, What's different? Why is it different? It's being salt of the earth, salt of the earth uh, in our lives uh, in, a, in a very real way, making people thirsty for the gospel. And then we're told that. Saul was strengthened in his faith. So there, there's amazement, there's proclamation, because he's going about preaching. He's telling everybody, Jesus did this to me. This is who did it. In verse 22, Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, what is amazing to me is, is a very short time, and by the power of the Spirit, that's what it is. It's the power of the Spirit that changes Saul's mind And and now he understands from the Old Testament how it all points to Jesus, and Jesus fulfills all these prophecies in the Old Testament. That's pretty cool. But he's being strengthened. See, God's change in us, God's transformation in us, it does make us stronger. It makes us stronger in the faith, uh, more, more rooted in Christ and with one another, so we're not tossed and thrown by wind and waves of doubt or, you know, asking questions in doubt is different. Asking questions is an ability to say, and and doubt might lead to a question where it just says, all right, how do I investigate this to find the answer? If we just have a doubt that leads us to be like, well, I'm questioning it, so I'm just going to throw all this away. We can't do that. And sadly, that, that seems to be a technique that is being used by people who have grown up in the church and they're actually they're bearing the name exvangelical, where they are not they grew up in an evangelical home and church and they're looking back on that and deconstructing their faith and just kind of tossing it out. It really is not it's not reasonable to say, well this is the way I feel, so I'm gonna deny all this. But our culture does that, and it makes perfect sense to the culture, right? This is how I feel, so I'm going to deny all this. I feel like a woman. I'm going to deny my manhood. I'm going to deny my biology. I'm going to deny how God's created me because I feel this way. When we grow in Christ and we are transformed, we will grow strong in the truth. We will grow strong in his love, comfort of the Spirit, his mercy, his goodness, they want to be able to welcome those conversations. So transformation is a component that is necessary and happening in, when, when new life happens. Now, the second thing that we read about with Saul's experience is there was some serious opposition coming his way. There was a plot, two plots to kill him. That's pretty interesting. Now, this is not the church trying to kill him. This, these are Jews and Hellenists that are both saying, no, 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 no. We don't like you anymore. So he went from being one of them to now being opposed to them. And how often maybe you remember in your conversion experience, if you got, came to Christ later on in life, and all of a sudden those friends that were the closest to you began thinking you betrayed them. Who, who, what, who, who are you? Why are you doing this? Because it unsettles something. Because why? I have a greater relationship with Jesus than I have right now than with you, and it just makes things awkward and weird. But we know we have an enemy, and that enemy wants to steal things. Jesus said in John 10, 10 the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they have may have life and have it abundantly. What a promise. But we have a real enemy, and that enemy, enemy wants to steal. That enemy wants to kill Throughout our journey in studying Acts, we've seen how God will use persecution and opposition to advance the gospel message of salvation. And Saul learns this fact very quickly. And he, he, when he writes his letters to the churches, he's reminding them, hey, persecution happens and it will come, but God's still in control. And he will face more persecution than all of us combined, and God uses our op- the opposition that faces our lives for the message of faith to be a proving ground for faith in us, but also faith to be seen by others in us. See, God doesn't come to us and give us trials uh, to make us doubt if we're really His. He is refining us. He's not sabotaging His work. He's protecting it, and he's refining us. So why? We can trust him and experience his love, his peace, and his grace all the more. You remind, the, uh, remind you of the parable of the sower in Mark 4. The four soils that the, the sower went out and sowed his seed, and the four soils were one the path. The birds came and plucked it away immediately. The rocky ground didn't have any depth. sun burned it up before it could do anything. The thorns choking out the the cares of this life, choking out the word of God, but in the good soil, what? It went down into a good soil and reproduced 30, 60, 100-fold. But remember, the enemy uses those tactics. He'll use the, let me just pluck this out real fast, he'll use, oh no, it's too hot, he'll use, man, just it's too concerning to do it God's way, it's too hard, so let's go find an easier route. The enemy loves to, to come at us to steal. But also, there's. I think many of us will bump into a plot of our former life, and this is what Saul bumped into. Aren't you the guy that came here? The Jews said at first in Damascus, Jerusalem, the very apostles and disciples are saying, we're not so sure. Is this, uh, like, is this reverse day? You're pretending to be one of us, to bring us to jail. Is this a weird trick you're playing? But the enemy of our souls will plot to remind us of our former lives. To try to convince us that we're not worthy enough to be witnesses for Christ. The enemy loves to remind us of our unworthiness due to our past sins. Now those past sins could be when we were unbelievers or our past sins as believers. He just likes to remind us of that. But also, there's a plot that he uses of, and I'd say many days, because look at verse 23. From verse 22 to 23, we read it, and it looks like it's something immediate that happened. You know how long, and we know this from Galatians chapter 1, where Paul describes his experience when he came to Christ? Many days, three years. That's a long time. So why, why, how does the enemy use this? Well, Saul, he had to be removed from where the epicenter of the church was in, in, in Damascus, in Jerusalem. He had to be removed from there in order to establish his witness. Now, he's probably preaching in Arabia where he was. I'm sure he was doing that. But what was used more, he was in a school with Jesus himself. See sometimes we have we have visions and we have plans and we have stuff that God has said I'm I'm going to give this to you and we wonder God when is that going to come about you've been praying for people loved ones to be saved and God are you responding you're praying to get out of the hole of whatever uh, emotional hole or financial hole God when will it come about We have to be reminded that we count days, God doesn't. You know, I heard David Powelson years ago, he said, you know, God is rarely early, but he's never late. We always want to be early. Okay, I'll add 30 seconds on the microwave, God. That's okay. (laughs) I know it's been two minutes, but I'll go ahead and add 30 seconds. God doesn't operate that way. But I think here the enemy comes and says see God's waiting too long it's done it's over done and we can't believe that because we recognize the enemy's plan to so no no this is opposition but within that opposition we learn of our own weakness and that's what Paul recognizes in his own experience he is weak here they are watching the gates day and night in order to kill him but the disciples took him by night, verse 25, and led him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. You know, this was not... This was embarrassing for Paul. Now, it wasn't a basket like he's an Easter basket thing. This is a net. He's being lowered in this net. It, he can't... He's trying to hold on his legs up here. There's maybe a leg's poking through right there. He's trying to... Try, excuse me. trying to escape. But back in, 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 when Paul references this to the Corinthian church, when the Corinthian church thinks there's something like, hey, we figured this Christianity thing out really well. We're the strong ones. Paul, you're the weak one. Paul says, no, it's supposed to be weak. And Paul recounts this experience to the Corinthian church in Second Corinthians, and he's doing it with some irony that they picked up on. Because by him saying, I was lowered in a basket from a wall... They saw that as weak because in Roman culture, Roman centurions were given a badge of courage by scaling a wall, by going up the wall. So he's he's pointing out, I had to be lowered. I was going in the opposite direction of where man says courage comes from. But I was getting courage from where God said it came from. What was he doing? He said, my weakness led to victory. And so all of them were remembering how Rahab took in the spies, let them out. By faith, David escapes Saul's pursuit by his wife lowering him out of the wall. Here's Saul. Paul, he escapes, so the gospel will go to the Gentiles. What I, I, I stuck with me big time from Kerr's message last week, and if you haven't heard it, please go on YouTube and watch it, listen to it. He said this, Paul All of our salvation is due to Paul and his obedience. I had never thought of that. I've never located my salvation as a Gentile. I've never located that to the apostle, to the Gentiles. That's exactly what God did. So where it looks weak to be lowered in a basket out of a wall leads to tremendous victory. But this also teaches us a lesson that sometimes we have to do some strange things to preserve our lives for the gospel. Now, not all of us are called to be lowered through a wall. John Patton, who was a missionary to the Vanuatu Islands in the late 1800s, um, he went to the island of Tana, which was filled with cannibals. He He spent four years on the island. Uh, but as he gets there, his wife, his baby die. He's by himself. He's wondering, should I go back? He stays, feels like the Lord says, you need to stay there. Four years later, he's being run off the island. He's trying to preach. He's trying to, uh, to tell them to stop eating one another. He's trying to say, you need the gospel. You need Jesus. They, were, they finally had enough. They pursued him. And they said, we're going to kill you and we're going to eat you. So He ran. And he spent the night in a tree so they wouldn't find him. And he said this, I trust God's sovereignty, but I'm not a fatalist. We are, we, our actions matter. We have to obey. And sometimes that looks like preserving. Like, how, Lord, how do I preserve witness right now? How do, I, how do I preserve the gospel proclamation in my life? So we've seen transformation is a component of witness. Opposition is a component of establishing our witness, but we should not be. God is sovereign, and He is superintending over all that we might think is is uh, scary and daunting and hard. He superintends to bring about our witness shining with the light of Christ. And then we have, which I think is a, is a hugely powerful, often missing component of establishing our witness, is assimilation. Here, Saul goes to. Jerusalem attempts to join the disciples in verse 26. They were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But what I love about uh, in Damascus, a man named Ananias went and found Saul. This one we have, twenty-seven, verse 27. But Barnabas, son of encouragement, took him. And brought him to the apostles. And look, Barnabas declared to them what God had done with Saul. Saul didn't have to give his defense. Barnabas gave his defense before the apostles and the disciples. Look, Ananias, we we looked at last week, he had to overcome fear. His own hesitancy with Saul. Lord, you sure? That Saul? You sure? I've heard some things about him, Lord. Like These are real people. God tells us to do something. Are you sure? I'm not so sure, Lord. Can you confirm this? Ananias overcomes his fear. He obeys. He brought Saul to the disciples in Damascus. And then Barnabas overcame fear. All of them were afraid. He overcomes his fear. He brings Saul to the disciples in Jerusalem. We sometimes need to overcome our fears so we can bring others into the family of God. We need to overcome fears in order to assimilate, to grow together, to have our roots extend and grab on to others so we can be strong in the faith. And both sides have a responsibility. I think the mature believers have bear a greater responsibility, like Ananias and, and Barbus, go out and get to bring in to strengthen. But everybody, every believer has a responsibility to assimilate, both to extend roots and to go get and bring. And when believers enter, others go. And we begin to experience the strength that God has for us. See, what what Ananias and Barnabas did was bold proclamation of the gospel. It's not just words, it's bold proclamation that they did. They themselves embodied Jesus going to others to bring the gospel to them. And they did that within the community of believers. And then we read that there was peace and strength. And there, this was bold proclamation through their actions, but now there's bold proclamation through the preaching of God's word. And Saul is bringing that. See, bold preaching comes when assimilation is the strongest. The tree grows tallest when it's rooted effectively. And when the common denominator is salvation in Jesus alone, centered on primary things, not secondary things, not, not how things go, but who we serve. That's what we're focusing on. And there's peace and strength. There's godliness and encouragement. You see, this, when, you're, when it's rooted together and Jesus is the focus, these things will automatically come, right? It multiplied. These things multiplied. Peace and strength and godliness and encouragement and growth. This is the health that assimilation brings, that encouragement brings. So as a church, I think we learn, keep on being transformed by looking at Jesus. Don't be afraid of the opposition, but go to one another To grab on in that moment. We need to have people, when when life gets hard, we need to have believers around us within the family of faith to be able to encourage us. Say, look, I just need to be reminded of God's peace because we want to be strong. But that means everybody says, Lord, who are you sending me to? Who are you sending me to to go encourage? Who are you sending me to to go grab on to bring and even make a defense for if necessary? Because we want to be healthy. Uh, uh, Acts 9.31 I think is the best church growth model that can ever be sought by a church. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit it multiplied. And may God God be that to us. Amen. May God multiply us because we are fearing the Lord and we're walking in the comfort of the Spirit. We're going to Conclude our time by celebrating communion. If we could have, Owen, oh, if uh, I can have you help and hunt, uh, bring that back to the middle for us. My wife and I celebrate our 25th anniversary this week. And I could go on for days on how not just beautiful my wife is, but also how she, her love for me has been a picture, a glorious, beautiful picture of Jesus' love for me. And I am a, I'm a blessed man because of that. All right, I had to throw that in because I just saw my beautiful wife walking across the stage. All right, if you would please uh, come and receive the elements and go back. Well, get them and go back to your chairs and we're going to receive them together. We'll eat them together. Thank you. Y'all were blessed with some big chunks of bread today, huh? You saw that, you're like, feast. I hear you. I have to do a small one because I have to speak afterwards. Y'all don't. Well, let's be reminded that when Jesus, on the night he was to be betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he pointed to his body. And, and by that, it says, here, take it and eat it. So they all pull off. And it was, it was a symbol of how we are connected to one another. It's a symbol of assimilation. We are with one another and connected to one another all because of Jesus. Not because we figured something out or because we have a superior knowledge or, or mighty strength. It's just because of Jesus. So we are here in this place enjoying God's presence because of Jesus and their friendships that develop and, and, and heighten and deepen and widen. It's all because of Jesus. Amen? It's all because of Jesus. Let's remember that as we take the bread. Jesus then took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood. Now, a very weird thing happened in the minds of the disciples then because Jesus had also taught that if anybody didn't eat his flesh and drink his blood, they had no part in him. In the Old Testament, it was forbidden to drink the blood of a sacrificial animal or any animal. And this is why. Because life is in the blood. So when Jesus points to himself, he says, this is the life that you need to drink of. And this is the life that we trust and when we walk in this life, and when we look at Jesus, we are transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. Again, it doesn't depend on our will. It doesn't depend on how good we are at studying Jesus. and looking. It just it depends on his life that is in us. And that's what the cup reminds us of. Jesus' life is in us. Let's remember that as we drink the cup. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Come on, Christian's going to come up do our commission. Oh,
1: my notes here, sorry. Um, what a gift it is to come to the communion table and be reminded of the Lord's faithfulness, but also what a gift it is to know that the Lord's presence is not bound to this table, uh, that when we can approach him in our car at our workplaces, he's still the same as he is when we come and, and take of this bread and of this juice. And so a couple of announcements just in the life of the church this week before we have our benediction, uh, this Wednesday night, we have our men's shepherding group, uh, which has just been a tremendous uh, blessing to my life. You have men from different ages, walks of life, background, coming together who have plenty of things that are different from one another, but have one thing that is most important, and that is our oneness in Christ. And so if you're interested in that, please join us. Uh, We're going through a book that's really just kind of uh, leading our discussion. uh, That is at Pastor Jeff's house, Wednesday at 7. You can get any information for that on the website. Um, October 13th, which is two Fridays from now, we are having a worship night here at Christ Community Church at 7 p.m., that is being led by Counting the Day, and so we encourage you to come on out. I know it's a Friday night, but what better way to spend uh, the starts of the weekend with one another and worshiping God. And lastly, uh, October 15th, which is two Sundays from now, uh, we have our church family picnic at Boga Flyer Park. Right after church, uh, the food will be provided, there'll be games for the kids, so uh, parents, you can eat some... Last time was hot dogs and hamburgers. I don't know if that's the same case, but let your kids run off and play on the swings and eat dirt, all the good things that you love about uh, bringing your kids to the park. But it would just be a wonderful way to uh, enjoy one another's company, continue to grow in relationship, extend those roots as uh, as Pastor Jeff taught about, that we can uh, take hands of one another and just um, learn more about the Lord through one another. And so I will send us off with a benediction, which is simply just a blessing for the road as you go. And our typical benediction is the Great Commission, uh, Jesus' final instructions for his people. And so, uh, will you join me? Yeah, it's up there. Uh, will you join me as I get to this portion of the text? It says Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore,